everyone, welcome to episode 5, season 2 of At The Table podcast and I'm really excited to be joined by Jolie Langi, um, as you may know her. So let's start, tell us a bit about yourself. I'm Langi Oko and I would describe myself as an author, a lawyer and a gender justice, um, I'd say specialist, I don't know if specialist is a good word to go by now, but yeah, go specialist. And um, I'm very passionate about <clears throat> all things gender and justice and like the legal framework of stuff. And I try to write books that lightly touch on touch on it without sounding too serious and too yeah, without sounding too serious and too legal. Nice. So I saw that you'd recently I saw that you recently shared women like you start revolutions by simply existing and I thought that was really beautiful. So let's get right into it. Who are your inspirations? Um, just because I just finished watching Becoming, I'll drop Michelle Obama. <laughs> um, I love Oprah as well. In Kenya, I I love Honorable Justice Njokindu, um, Justice Martha Kome. Um, and then also I think I'm just inspired by a lot of women my age who I can't like list everyone. Um, people who just doing normal, ordinary. Yeah, it's something I think I admire with a lot of people. Yeah, okay, that's awesome. Um, let's talk about love in the times yeah. of Corona, right? Um, <laughs> first of all, how was your traditional wedding and what has the journey of being a fiancé taught to you about how you receive and you give love? Yeah. Um... It was quite exciting. It was interesting. Um, I got to learn so much about like my culture and different culture because I only understood um, Kikuyu traditions of marriage. I'd never really attended. I knew in my fiancés, we, we, we didn't know anything about our culture. But like I knew the steps of the Kikuyu one because my friends had gone through it. Yeah. So learning that was really exciting. Um, in terms of what I've learned about love is compromise and just communication because I tend to be a bit of a, of a hardhead. So, so now having an, a new person to like consider, it's been, yeah, it's been something I'm learning. I don't consider myself married yet, but well, with, a, with everything happening in Corona, that's on pause because we've had to postpone our wedding to hopefully next year yeah but it's just i i think i feel like i'm the same person a lot of people yeah. ask well so how is it being a married woman and i don't have an answer yeah. i'm always blank because i'm like well i'm i've maintained myself just as i've always been and mm. doing everything the same mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that's awesome so maybe tell us a bit more about crevet mulia am i saying it right yeah, you um, are. And how... I think I say right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us a bit more about that and how you're taking on gender injustice through this platform. 
So I'm sure you can remember the first time I maybe like put anything about COVID Mulia. Back then it was a club. And what we were trying to do was link people, women, it was a ladies only club, link ladies with, you know, similar interests and um, host really nice. You agree with me, it's quite hard to to stick to an, a ladies only type of forum. Yeah. There's a lot that comes to play mm. around women only relationships. Mm. So it turned into some form of there was too much cattiness, you know, sometimes mm. it felt like we were filming an episode of Real Housewives yeah. of Atlanta. There was yeah. so much cattiness and as I was reflecting, I was like, well, this isn't really doing what I wanted to do. So we transformed the whole thing into a legal bureau, okay. which a lot of people like, know that. Yeah. And the whole thing is we're trying to transform like African conversations on just and justice. Right. But now by using so we've got three pillars. We use publishing, so we publish our own books, um, which are researched by our research center. And then through our training and we also have a small training like institute, they get to like train a lot of these companies or organizations on what they're doing wrong, but the public think they're doing wrong. Okay. So like the main thing that I'm so focused on is sexual gender-based violence okay. because yeah. it's, it's everywhere. But yeah. it's, it, it's crazy to see how, you know, it happens so casually even on a night out. Right, you know? and yeah. Um, yeah, because I think just when I started, I went for a concert, um, Mr. Easy, and we watched a girl who was so drunk, like, a guy who's come with her and like take advantage of her and we oh, had to like man. ask him to like you know bring her around to our side right. and it just shows you how it's just there in our day to day life right. and so, different forms of abuse and so yeah and so ingrained in our society yeah because I feel like no one it's it's because it's been happening for so long it's like what are you trying to change now that the people before you couldn't change right but we want to like look into other stuff even emotional abuse should not right. be tolerated like yes. any form of abuse is abuse and it just shouldn't be tolerated right. so that's where we are now and that's yeah that's what i've been trying to build but it's seems to be moving really slowly now because we're in the times of corona. <laughs> yes, understandably. Um, and I think that's answered yeah. my question and how you're taking on gender injustice through this platform. Um, and the next thing I wanted to ask was what is the problem in society that's led you to feel the need for this? And I feel like you've also answered that <laughs> with the like gender injustice going on in the country, the lack of systems to support women, um, you know, on a more legal note, right? Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I think just personal, listening to personal stories of people so close to you saying what's happened to them triggers you. And then you start reflecting in your life and then you think about a night and you're like, well, that, I don't know if I said yes to that. I don't know. You know, you start looking at 
at consent is more than just you having said yes. Mm. And after reflection, you realize that even you, like you, if you're to think of a time or something, you would think like maybe something did happen that I don't think I wanted to happen. Yeah. The more you listen to, think listening to stories of other women, just say what they've been through and then reflecting on my own life, I right. thought it's something that doesn't it doesn't discriminate on your class or your race or mm-hmm. your what is happening to women everywhere and mm-hmm. it needed to be addressed. And I think my last straw was someone very close to me not coming to work, an intern we were working with, and she just went off on us and when I later like tried to get her back, she came and she narrated her story of rape and I was just so, so shocked that it happens. It happens that much and and outside her house, you know, so you're not safe anywhere, you know? Right, of course. Yeah. 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 As a writer, what books do you enjoy reading? Um, I I like nonfiction books. Okay. Actually, yeah, nonfiction and biographies are my my best. Okay. When I read fiction books, it's just that thing in your head that says, "But this isn't real." Yes. So I just I lose interest in it. Right. Uh, I'm kind. I'm currently reading Headscarves and Highlands by Mona. I don't know how to say her last name. Elta Way. Uh-huh. And it's about it's about why the Middle East needs a sexual revolution. And, yes. And it's quite an interesting read. Yeah. And I like that book that teaches me stuff because I feel like I'm in this space, but I don't know so much. I don't know enough to make me feel like. You know, I can speak to anyone about this. Right. Thing. Okay. Yeah, I um, recognize her name. She is a pretty well known yeah. um, feminist um, activist. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's been interesting um, listening to. I've also been watching her interviews and stuff like that. And I'm sure at your uni, you get a lot of these type of people yes. coming in to speak. And, do you think it's changed how you view certain topics? Like, has it added to Absolutely. I feel like my view on, like, LGBTQI communities has really been, like, expanded um, from what I learned in high school where we didn't talk about, like, transgender issues or queer issues or queer experiences, you know, to going into uni and then learning that this is what queer people are going through this is what like trans people are going through um having trans lecturers and them telling us their own experiences you know so i feel like being at soas when i was studying was a really like eye-opening experience and something that's really shaped my approach to gender studies yeah yeah because i think being in that environment just helps 
it helps you want to learn, you know, yeah. depends on how you put it. If you're in an environment that's not open to the learning in such a way, I think it gets harder. Yes. Um, to the funny thing is, what? just the other day, I came across Dr. Sadia, Saidia, Saidia, I think, and she's from Kenya. Yeah. Um, and she was talking on like trans issues and I was so impressed. I was like, this is amazing. Like, it's so great to see these conversations going on in Kenya. Right. Um, yeah. and she was on air with, uh, what's his name? Um, Jeffrey, is it Jeffrey? The Jeff Koinange. Jeff yes. Jeff yes. and... <laughs> Jeffrey, yeah. <laughs> Jeff, and what's his co-host called? Yeah, so yeah. Jeff and his co-host. Yeah, Jalango or something, yeah? I didn't know he had a co-host. Yeah. This is on radio. Yeah, so they have a radio show and they invited her to it. And they were both sharing like their experiences with queer people and saying how, you know, there's so much stigma towards like the queer community, how people say it's as a result of being um, like possessed or, you know, things like that. So, so much stigma. And now she was sort of like demystifying that and trying to bring some more light on the issues. And I was like, yes, girl, yeah. Because it needs to be, it needs to be said, it needs to be heard. It's just that the mediums that the most, the most, like the most people who don't get it are not listening to the radio. I keep saying, like, what method can we use right. to make sure it gets there? Because someone in my village is definitely not listening to that show. Yes, but that's where. They look at it as such a great thing. Yes. Like yeah. Wondering what medium to use. And their brothers, their sisters, their cousins are going through these things, you know, even though it's like closeted. Every there's so many people going through this. Um these uh, have issues. Have you watched this new series? Sorry, now started interviewing you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. This is America. No. So it talks, it basically just shows you like the equal, what they call it, ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment in the US, like right. the journey towards it. Mm-hmm. And one of the main um, characters who was against it her, finds out her son uh, may be gay. And she's just so against it. You know, she prays about it. She wonders what, what could be punishing her for. Like, and it just tells you how it's everywhere. It's yes. something that is, yes, that makes it harder. Yeah. That it's, it's not just an um, African thing. Right, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's quite interesting watching how she she was in such denial mm. because she's like, you know who I am. Like, there's no way he can be gay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. It happens. It's going on everywhere in the world, you know, like erasing LGBTQI like experiences and not um providing support or like medical facilities to these marginalized groups. Um it's not just in Kenya for sure. Yeah, and well, we don't have any support at the moment in yeah. Kenya. It's even a lot of 
people fear going to the hospital after being um, sexually abused yes. in their cases because from the first nurse you see, right. the first nurse of the clinic is going to like, um, you know, like victimize you and like, you know, say nasty things. Yeah. But a lot of them don't go to the clinic. It's quite sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to get to the next question. How can we be a part of your movement and the incredible work you're doing? Um, for now, I think partnerships work really well. Um, you know, chiming in for one, like one of our main, if this authors were meant to be releasing our new book, which is in a form of diary entries by survivors of violence. And uh, how the public can come in is by identifying an area within the book that they want to be a part of. Okay. So maybe, um, I think partnerships is, partnerships would be, yeah. Partnerships would be the main, would be the main angle to take in coming in because you would let us know what you're interested in. Right, yeah. And then we would say, oh, well, you're good with media work. We could use um, your podcast as, yes. a, as a platform to host a number of um, chats and engagements just to get to know the magnitude of the issue right. and what everyone thinks. Because everyone has a very different perception mm -hmm. of violence. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I hear you. Um, I want to talk more about the books that you've written and starting with her roots. Um, what was the intention behind this book? And you say it's like the opposite of a self-help book, right? Can you tell us a bit more about what the issues the book explores? Um, so I wrote her roots when I was between 23 and 24. And I had just come out of a very depressive phase in my life. Um, I had dropped out of uni and I'd gone back and I was out of uni for six months. And then I had gone back to uni and I was kind of like in hiding back in Kampala. And um, there was a lot of pressure around me. You know, when you're not being honest about what's happening in your life, mm. when, no, when you're seen everywhere and then all of a sudden no one can face you right. um, there's rumor like well you know what what if she's had a kid and she's you know organizing like um, there's all sorts of stuff being said and then i graduate after going back and i just felt like i wanted to switch my circle if that makes sense right. like i wanted yeah. to more positive people who i could speak to yeah and say look this is a fear i have um, you know, do you get that type of fear? Or I wanted to say I've had a really bad thought of ending my life while I was in Kampala. Yeah. Is it something you dealt with? Yeah. I don't think I'm depressed, but that thought did come up. Yeah. Because I wanted to switch from the, we could have fun, we could drink, but I also needed a space to speak. Of course, yeah. Yes, so then uh, my book happens to be a place where I thought maybe I can write this down if yes. I can't say it vocally. Yes. So I call it the opposite of a self-help book because mm. it's just a bunch of questions. Like I'm just wondering, like, 
do you feel the same? Do you, you know, who can relate to this? And the beautiful thing, and the beautiful, the beautiful so thing many, is so many people related to your book, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I didn't expect that. I didn't expect anyone to, like, kind of be like, yeah, I get it. Yes. I thought most people would be like, Oh, you know, that, oh, that's kind of yeah, yeah. No, good job. But, yeah, but they understood it, and the of farther course. it went, the yeah. more I was like, okay, fine, maybe I have something going here. Yeah. Because it's getting to people positive feedback. Um, And it was more of a cry for help, because it wasn't a self-help book. It was kind of like me saying, yeah, I'm like stuck, and I want to hear from other women, other people. Right, yeah. When we did the book the first time, there are a lot of legal cases with my first publishers. So we had to redo it. And we think it lands in Kenya this year, depending on on the, the different policies, travel yes. policies and everything, because okay. we don't print in Kenya. But it's something that I would love for you to even come and be a part of once they're doing our yes. chats because the new the new edition is I think it's a bit more honest. Okay. I was hiding a few things the first time and then now I feel like I know myself better. Yeah. And I'm not scared beautiful. to show those parts that yeah. I was worried about. Yeah. Yeah, that's so real. Um, that kind of leads us into the next question, you know. Can you share a bit about your writing process? My writing process has been, it's a bit funny. Like, it's, I don't have a structured writing process. And I wish I could show you, like, our dining area. It's, like, filled with manila and, like, marker pen sketches. So once I decide I'm going to go in for a book, I get the title first because some people get the title last. I get it first just so that I understand what I'm working with. Mm -hmm. And then I read a lot of other books just to try and make, like find an edge. That's not going to sound so cliche to the next, to the next book. Mm. I don't have an actual process, but I'm very analog. So I write, environment like i write it down in pen in a book yeah and then transfer those thoughts onto the laptop it's quite slow because as i'm as i'm transferring it more thoughts come in and i feel like it's like a second draft yeah yeah and there's something powerful about like actually physically writing down notes you know like yeah yeah then i don't know what's so powerful about writing but i feel like it changes how I'm thinking. Yeah. If I'm like, you know, taking it like notes in school. Yes, yes. Yeah. So once I do that, um, I think it takes like five drafts before I can take it to an editor. Okay. Like the new book we're releasing on rape has taken three years. Wow. Okay. In my writing process, there's so much procrastination. It could take up to three months and I say, I'm done. Mm, mm. And then I get back on. So mm. I'm not consistent. That's a problem. At yeah. the same time, it's a good thing because it nurtures my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome.
So there's this writer and political activist called Arundhati Roy, and she says that there's no such thing as the voiceless. There's only the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard. Um, and you were recently on TEDx, which is amazing. Um, what was the experience like and what advice do you have for young people who are trying to find their voice or rather trying to be heard, you know? I'm, I'm very shy, which is awkward for many people because if they know me, they assume as, me as a loud person, but I'm actually quite shy. But doing the talk, I if you watch it, there's times that I stop and I freeze. I think they try to cut it well. It really brings out how shy I am because on the D-Day, I was like, okay, I think I'm a bit sick. My throat hurts. I don't think I can do it. I was... Um, so I would speak for shy people because I think I think there are times when you've got so much to say. I feel like I have so much to say that if I was a bit more confident, it would be easier to pass my message across. My advice would be to to nurture the skills or whatever it is you want to bring out and voice. On the question you asked, I really don't know what advice I give young, a young person. I would say to voice your opinion, you don't need to be so confident because well, look yeah. at me. When I need, when, I, when I'm burning with something I need to say, I find an avenue and I will look for a way mm. to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, you also don't have to have like a perfect skills or a perfect book. I sold my book from the first publisher had edited my book of Microsoft Word. That's a, those are some of the reasons why we were going to court because they were doing a lot of illegal stuff with my book. Right, okay. But yeah, so I'd say a lot of people want to be fully prepared or, you know, like perfect enough to give to share their voice yeah. and they just do it when you're passionate mm. and when it burns you the most to mm. like release mm-hmm. what you're thinking and yes. don't wait to be perfect because yes. I've been working on this stuff for five years now. I'm still not perfect, but I still put out my work because yeah. I, I don't know what, what your perfection gets. Right. And so that's the only way to get better. Yeah. 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 That's basically how my podcast yeah. started. It was like a burning to release you know and that was the avenue i found um and at the time i was like oh my god this is so raw it's literally my heart out um but people connect you know and that's the beauty of it yeah because if you wait till you're so good at producing or you're so good at uh i don't know what else mixing or whatever yes. i don't know what yes i hear i understand yeah but yeah if you wait for so long you know you give it four years six years even the drive and the passion inside is just no longer the thing because yeah you can only be driven for so long yeah but, yeah okay yeah that's so good. I want to get into the next question on self-care, right? Which is basically like central to this podcast. Um, What does self-care mean to you as you continue to work and navigate centering the process of caring for your mind, your spirit, your body, and more specifically in this new stage of your life as somebody 
just about to get married or with a partner, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like self-care is kind of new to me, which, which would be weird for many people to understand, but it's kind of, my version of self-care has been the capitalist way of self-care. Mm. So it's been that, you know, I'm going to buy these products, I'm going to go to the spa, I'm going to... It was never the work, working within me, the work inside me and all that right. stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I had a breaking point where a spa couldn't fix. Yeah. A face mask or body scrub yeah. or perfume or whatever I was using at the time couldn't fix. And yeah. then I had to like, I, I feel like self-care first starts with you accepting what it is that's broken and yeah. figuring out how to fix it. Mm, and there's so a lot inside me that was broken in terms of relationships. Um, relationships, platonic relationships, yeah. not like love and all that. Right. And, and I wondered... I'm, I keep fighting with my friends. I keep, you know, like, it was just, I was just very unstable inside. And I didn't want to go to therapy for that. I was like, it's such a worst. Like, people go to therapy for proper big issues. Like, you can't go to therapy because you think you don't like going so But um, when I broke down why I feel a certain way, it was bigger than this friendship. It was yeah. more stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, I came in and I said, fine, I'm going to look for a therapist. Oh, Which wasn't too yeah. long ago, by the way. Yeah. And I reached out to, I'm sure you know Tessie. Tessie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So she's got this really extensive list yes. on therapists and everything. And I, and I lost it. And I was like, well, I reached out to her front and I was like, listen, I need that list. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just started. I think. I think I'm on my third or second session. Online? Yeah, I'm now doing them on Zoom because, okay. <laughs> well, this is the airway. I, I, yeah, I, I think I like that we've debunked so many things, which yes. helped me understand a few things. It was like, I really want this friendship to be end, to be over. Mm. But there's something inside me that, you know, because you're used to that and all that, um not having confidence in my work was a big reason I needed to seek therapy. Like, right. you know, work. Okay. like yeah, so there's so much stuff that I was hiding in my head that I thought a massage that they could take away. Mm, mm. I think that's my angle now. I think I'm really trying to declutter yes. and debunk yeah different issues and stuff like that and i'm enjoying it for now because it's like i said self-care is very new to me he's very new to me yes i'm even scared like oh my gosh you just said it out loud i'm so I'm proud of you yeah <laughs> so yeah. many people including myself can relate to that you know um yeah mm. so thank you um yeah i want to ask you so what beautiful or what, not necessarily beautiful, but what practices have you picked up which you incorporate to your everyday life to enhance your emotional, physical, spiritual well-being? Um, I, I think I've not been, I'm not, uh, I'm not saved. 
I'm not a prayerful person. Okay. But I have, I I really picked up on my praying. Mm. Sometimes I forget. <laughs> yeah. But I that's that's something I'm I'm really consciously trying to keep myself calm because obviously there's a lot of anxiety at this point in life for everyone. Yeah. And there's a sense of calm whenever I say a prayer. I've tried working out. I'm also not consistent with that. Yes. Um, I feel you, I think I'm yeah. even better off with my prayer than my working out. Yeah, I hear you. And <laughs> Yeah, and reading my books, because ever since I was a kid, it's an escape. When mm. I read a book, for the 30 minutes, my guy is out again. For the 30 minutes, I'm like engrossed in a book. Everything around me, like I'm, I'm in that world, yes. you know. And it, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds weird, but living my real life into yes. some characters. No, I yeah, hear you. Quite, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, you were like you were an intercultural ambassador in Leeds, right? Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, I forgot about that. I was like, how did you? Yes, I did my research, <laughs> yeah. and I was also an intercultural ambassador. So I was like, yes, yes. Um, how did you find it? Let me now be your interview. How did yeah. you find the program? Um, it was run- really cool. We got to like make um a film at the end of it. Oh, really? Yeah. We didn't have that. Oh, yeah, we did that. And it was basically trying to showcase the diversity in Leeds and, like, promote um, a more accepting and, like, you know, um, yeah, accepting kind of culture within the university of all the different people who were there. And so we interviewed like different cultured people, different religions, etc. And then we made a film, which is really cool. And I got to make some friends from that, um, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what I like the most about, what I love the most about the program is the different training that they gave us. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily based on like, my schoolwork and stuff like that was like different. Yes. I think my experience in Leeds shaped me in ways that I wouldn't I'll share with you over a drink yes. next time. Okay. I wouldn't share everything here, but um, if I didn't go to Leeds, I'd not have the stuff I'm doing right now. Mm. Like you was such a huge part of my life yeah and i feel like so as i was saying my experience in leads part of the question i'll answer you over dinner or something but um a lot of people would hate such a place because my experience wasn't all like rosy yeah so no a normal person should be like oh i hate that place but it's my best city in the world. Yeah? Yeah, like, despite anything that that may have been negative, me dropping out, all that stuff, because obviously me dropping out was like I had party the end. Like, I, you know, when you were skipping lectures and there was just so much happening that now when I look at there were times I was even crying for help and nobody could, like, mm. sense, you know, when you 
your family is so far. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So those all that and it shaped me as a how would I put it? What do you call someone like a a global not global ambassador, that's how it's called. It. Okay. Um <laughs> how do you well, I think it should be like a global villager, if that's okay, a Okay, okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know how you meet people from all walks of life and yeah. different experiences and all that stuff. Yeah. It shaped me in how I interact with people, because mm. you know, the same thing. Mm-hmm. It created, well, it created a monster of me also. It wasn't <sighs> all just rosy. Yeah. But I think... can all see that sort of shining through you and something you speak about quite often have you always been this close to your parents and what's the most important thing you've learned from them if you can sum it down to one thing um i would say i've always been as close to them but um my my 2012 when i was leaving Leeds. yeah that was the hardest time for me and like our relationship felt like it was broken forever and even to see us where we are now it's like wow um because my parents are my best friends my yeah. sisters are my, my like when i speak of my best friends i'm speaking of my mom my dad my sisters like, yeah you know? yeah and i've been very close to them and my sisters as well you know, saying how those are my best friends, so we confide in each other and we discuss like all manner of things together. And there's so much to learn from someone who keeps like you know trusting you and telling you one or two things. Yeah. I really can't pinpoint and say I've learned this, I've learned that. Yeah. But I think one valuable thing I've learned is that I'm gonna pass on to when I have kids. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm ready for those auntie babysitting sessions. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think it would be just to have the same relationship where your kids don't have to like rely on other people to say to, to like hear them out to yeah. listen to them. Where you make them so comfortable for people that you know to to be like yeah that you're my best friend and I'm gonna share this and this with you yeah and just how effortlessly they've made us understand for each other you know like this is it because you see a lot of conflict within families Mm. yeah so you see conflict within families and stuff like that and it helps you understand how hard they've worked to like knit us into this close, mm. you know, close-knit pack of mm-hmm. homies or friends. And yeah. 
that's I think that's what I've learned the importance of family okay that's awesome um so can we end this with you reading a little ex I can never say this word except <laughs> from your book you can never say what the word except ex except right um yes I'm just trying to my book is like filled with Drake quotes because I wrote it when I was in love with Drake. So I'm like, I'm not going to read you Drake. I love like, it. Okay. I, I've never done a reading. Can you believe that? Really? You should. You that, should do I'm like... Really shy. Oh, baby, it would be so good. Like do live readings in online, first of all. Or even just like in person when this is all over in Nairobi, you know? I'm so, oh my god, it just scares the shit out of me. So I'm going to read a part called Commitment Your Shitment. Commitment Your Shitment. Yeah. And okay. it's just like the shit of being committed. I don't know what it was. Okay, anyway. go for it. Um, what next if your heart is broken? Cry, buy a bottle of wine, and once I eventually heal and love again harder, because heartbreak doesn't mark the end of love. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as he taught me how to love again. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what happens when he leaves you and is off teaching another girl how to love again? Mm-hmm. Does love stop or end with these men? Wow. That's almost like a different now. That's <laughs> really good. Yeah. Oh, that's the most I can do for now. Thank but thank you, you so much.